basically it was. The enemy's attacking them, and they can't get away. And the commanding officer says, look, we can't outrun them, but we can outlast them. Let me tell you something. There's some stuff that I'm going to outlast with Jesus. Well, you know what? It may never change in the way I want it to change. But it doesn't matter because he's still good. And I'm going to just stick with him. And whatever I'm battling, it ain't going to last as long as he will. Amen? Amen. I'm excited to be with you this morning. I'm starting a series with you today with both churches. And I'm excited about it because every now and then the Lord gives me a series as he starts brewing it in me. And I'm like, he's going to teach me things while preparing it. And there's going to be some stuff that comes out of it that I've probably never realized or saw before. I'm just excited about that. So pray me real quick. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your presence. Thank you for your sweet presence in this room. I thank you for the word that came forth, Brother Francisco, earlier. God, I thank you for the fact that we can stand firm in you regardless of what's coming, persecution or situation. God, I thank you that every person under the sound of my voice will leave this place changed, wanting and knowing you more. None of my own opinion come out this morning but all you. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, if you would imagine with me for a minute, the title of my message is The Wonder of Being Led. The series is Wonder in the Wilderness. Wonder in the Wilderness, and this morning is The Wonder of Being Led. Now, imagine with me, if you would, that I call you and I say, hey, I'm taking you on a trip. I need you to pack your bags for a 10-day vacation. In that 10-day vacation, I'm not telling you where we're going, but you're going to need a bathing suit. You're going to need one, like, dinner outfit, and you're going to need some tennis shoes. And the weather is going to be in, like, the low 50s in the morning and the upper 70s in the evening. And then I hang up the phone. Then I call you back because I would forget to do this. I call you back, and I say, oh, be at the airport for 7 a.m. Now, you have two options at that, morning, at that point. You can either panic and spend all night trying to figure out where you're going. And if you have conjoining flights and, and where you're going to stay and, and all this kind of stuff. Or you can trust me and just do what I told you to do. That, in a sense, is the message this morning. But I, you're not trusting me in the message. You're trusting God. I know a buddy of mine is Shelmet, who did that to his family. He told them, be at the airport for this time, pack this kind of clothes. We're going on a trip. He didn't tell them where they were going until they got to the airport. Then they had a flight to Houston because there was a connecting flight. They still didn't know where the end destination was till they got all the way to Houston. And he just told them, pack this and be at the airport for this kind of time. And sometimes, I don't know if you feel this way, but I feel that's the way that God leads. This is what's going to happen. You're going to go to this church. You're going to get involved and you're going to serve. Be there at 10. Then it was 9. Right? Be there at 9. There you go. That's all he says. He doesn't tell you, like, where's it going. He doesn't tell you what's gonna, what the trip's going to be like. It's going to be turbulence. He doesn't tell you any of that. Just be here at a certain time. And I don't know about you, but I spend a lot of time trying to figure out the destination. 
If I, if somebody called me and figured and said, pack this stuff, be ready at the airport this time, I'm going to be on Southwest.com trying to look where all the flights are going. If i got to be there for seven, I'm going to go to United. I'm going to check United. I'm going to check American. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to pray we ain't flying spirit. Like, I'm going to figure out, like, how in the world we're going to get there. Maybe it's JetBlue. I don't know. We're going to figure it out, and I'm going to go nuts, and I'm going to be looking like crazy for it. I want to tell you that we all have seasons of uncertainty in our lives. These are not necessarily storms or bad situations, but they are seasons of questioning. And most likely we live with an area of our lives that is constantly able to produce feelings of uncertainty and feelings of questions and feelings of stress or anxiety or whatnot. And we're in those right now, one of those as a ministry. The Metairie campus is in one. The Shellmet campus is in one. So both of us are in this season of like, well, we know what you're doing, Lord. Like, what's going on? We just long for the ride. But just like the, the, the people of Israel in the Bible when they went through the story of the Exodus, and that's where we're going to go this morning in a minute, the wilderness was 100% in the plan and purpose of God for the nation of Israel. 100%. The wilderness in your life is 100% part of God's plan because there are things that he has to teach you in the wilderness that he can't teach you in the promised land. But if you don't ever walk through the wilderness, you'll never learn what's required to make it where God's calling you to be. So we have to go through seasons in the wilderness just like the nation of Israel did there. These seasons are uneasy, and I believe there's some stuff we're going to learn over the next few weeks. But the key is staying in a place of wonder. Now, you might not know what that word is because that's not a word that I use most of the time. But in this context, the definition of the word is a feeling of surprise mingled with admiration caused by something beautiful, unexpected, unfamiliar, or inexplicable. I remember when we were pregnant for Addison, our first daughter, I really, 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 really wanted a girl. If you went through me to my dad, to my dad's dad, to his dad, we hadn't had a girl born in our direct family line since 1898. And I was like, I really, I, we need a girl. We need some estrogen in this family tree in Jesus' name. And so I was praying and I was praying and I was praying. But the track record did not really go in our advantage, if you could imagine, right? We ain't got a whole lot of girls running around. And we did the, the gender reveal thing and there was like this cake that we cut or whatever, and she cut it because y'all don't want me cutting the cake, and so she's cutting the cake, and it's on Facebook somewhere, and I don't, I can't explain to you the dance that I did when I saw it was pink, but it was a strange <laughs> hip gyrating, I don't even know what it was, like it was strange, it was just, it was weird, if you see it, don't judge me, right, it was just, it was just, it was just the wonder of the moment, I was absolutely, because I didn't think it was going to happen. I was believing for it, but I didn't think it was going to happen. And it produced such a wonder in me, such an excitement, such an unexpected fact that, oh, my goodness, this is actually happening. That's how we have to be about the fact that God is leading us. That's how it's got to be. Go to Exodus chapter 13 with me real quick. Exodus 13, 17 through 22. Then it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. 
See, you think God, you might think that there's a faster route to get where God wants you to go, but God knows that you can't handle that particular route. So he's got to take you a little bit of a slower way because he knows what you can handle. That's a whole other message. So God led the people around by the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. My goodness. And the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had placed the children of Israel under solemn oath, saying, Surely God will visit you. You shall carry my bones up from here with you. So they took their journey from Succoth and went to Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. So as to go by day and night, he did not take away the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night from the people. Through miraculous means, God liberated the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt. Moses was the leader of this nation, but it wasn't going to be easy to lead a couple million people through the desert. But Moses, see, Moses was incapable to do this job, but God wasn't. I want to show you one more verse, then we're going to really dive in for a minute. Exodus chapter 40, verse 36. Whenever the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle, the children of Israel would go onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not journey till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was above the tabernacle by day, and the fire was over it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. So humor me for a minute. Moses leads a nation of Israel, took up a million people out of captivity, and he leads them into the wilderness. And there are no cell phones, there's no microphones, there's no speakers, there's no radio. There is literally no way for mass communication. And yet Moses is supposed to lead these people. I don't know about you, but that is an impossible task. For one person to lead two and a half to three million people, some estimates have it as almost near five million people, including all the children. That many people in the wilderness with nothing but the, the sound of his voice. See, God knew that was impossible. So God said, don't worry, I got that, I'll do it. So he gives them a cloud by day and fire by night. And this is how he leads them. And if the cloud moved, they moved. And if the fire moved, they moved. If the cloud didn't move, they didn't move. And if you think about it, that's pretty easy for Moses. All right, we ain't going nowhere. The next morning. All right, it's moving. Let's go, pack up. Next morning, still moving, still moving, it's not moving no more, it's easy, right, you would think that that would be the easiest part, and what I find amazing is of all the complaining the Israelites do throughout the entire story of the Exodus, they never once complain about the cloud or the fire, ever, it's like the only thing they never lose the wonder of. And I'm telling you right now, you might complain about the time it takes to get somewhere. You might complain about the people along the way. You might complain about the food you got to eat and the stuff you got to walk through. But please never complain about the fact that the God of all creation takes the time to lead you. Y'all, if we can, we can never lose the wonder. If we can never lose the appreciation or, or the, the simple awe of the fact that God, God Almighty, is leading me. See, I don't know if y'all know who you are. I know who I am. 
I know my shortcomings. I know my shortfalls. I know how I've dropped the ball. I know how I'm not perfect. I know how I got I snap at my kids and how I get mad in traffic because ain't nobody know how to drive. And I get frustrated with the way the world is going. And I'm really aggravated that it's November and it's still 80 degrees outside. Jesus, help me. Like, I, I understand all of those things. And I get mad at church people. Y'all get mad at church people? I get mad at church people. That's my job. I deal with church people. I get mad at church people. I was on the phone with Miss Mia a couple weeks ago, and I said, hey, look, I'm going I'm, to I'm resign. She's like, no, you're not. I'm like, okay. She's like, where did that come from? I don't know. It's just a thought. Just popped my head. I'm just going to resign. She's like, is it that difficult with the building? I said, no, the building's the easy part. It's these people that's supposed to sit in the thing. They're the ones that drop me nuts, not the building. But me, him, the creator of heaven and earth, the one who told the ocean, you can come this far, who put the stars where they are, who said, let there be light, and creation is still expanding. Scientists don't understand how that it's still expanding because you got to understand the word of, until God says stop, it's going to keep going. He leads me. He cares about me. And little old Shalmet or Violet, he cares about me. He cares about when I'm, I know we got birthday parties and Christmas and holidays coming up. I'm looking at the budget. I'm like, God, I know we got these things coming up. And we ain't really got a whole lot of what we need in the one side of the column. We need more on the other side. You know what I'm talking about, right? And I'm like, God, I don't know how we're going. And God's like, I got to don't worry about it. He leads me. Now, I don't know about you, but we don't have a cloud or a fire to go outside and just look up and see. No, John 16, 13 says, however, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. I've got, not, I'm not just following a cloud, which is the representation of the Holy Spirit. I've got the spirit in me. It's in me, which is greater than it being on some object that I follow. Do you understand? And I got to do this for a second. Do you understand how final and how sufficient the cross was that the spirit of God that could not be in Moses is in me? When Moses was up on the mountain with God for 40 days, the Holy Spirit still couldn't dwell within Moses. It had to come upon him because Jesus hadn't come yet and took care of sin. But because Jesus took care of sin, I can have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of me. And he leads me through what's called the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. I wish I had a lot of time to really preach on this right now, but I don't. It's the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. See, the world would say it's your conscience or it's your gut feeling. Let me tell you something. You, you do have a gut feeling. You do have like that inner thing within yourself. But the Holy Spirit is deeper than that. Holy Spirit overrides that. There's a lot of times that my gut says do this, but my spirit says do this. But it comes from inside. It happened last night. I was asked a question last night during the tabbies. I didn't know what the answer was. Had no, I didn't know what to do. Seemed pretty trivial, but I don't know what to do. She knew what I did. I said, I, I, I said, give me a minute. And I sat there at the table. Everybody's eating their shrimp pasta, and I'm praying in the Holy Ghost. You know why? Because Chris isn't leading this church. 
He is. And after about, I don't know, 20 seconds, I felt in my spirit this. Okay, that's easy. Done. People may not like it. Don't be mad at me. Mad at him. But I'm led by the Holy Spirit. He's leading me and he's guiding me. And we cannot lose sight of this. Because if I ever lose the wonder of being led, I will wander in confusion. When I lose the wonder, y'all got to help my accent. You know, I shall at wander, wander thing, so you got to help me with it. But if I lose the wonder of being led, I will wander in confusion. See, the wilderness was never meant to be permanent. Oh, y'all got to hear this. Y'all got to hear this. The wilderness is never intended to be permanent. It is never a place that's intended for you to live in because the wilderness cannot sustain life. The wilderness is simply there to be journeyed through, to teach you something, to bring you from point A to point B. The reason we stay in the wilderness is because we stop wondering at the fact that God is leading us and we wander in confusion. Have you ever felt like you was walking in circles over and over and over again? I don't know what to do. I'm back in the same problem again 18 months later. I'm back in the same problem six months later. I'm back in the same situation six months later. Stop wandering in confusion and start wondering again at who God is we're going to wander in confusion if we're not careful you got to remember the wilderness is not permanent if you've been in the wilderness for too long it's not God's fault go read this story that journey should have taken them 18 months it took them dudes over 40 years why because of their heart condition and God said I cannot bring you into the promised land with this condition still inside of you so I will walk you in circles y'all realize they followed the cloud right they followed the cloud that means that I don't know if you ever did this right with your kids but like there's some little shows that occupy my son better than others, that we will play the same show over and over and over again because it simply keeps him occupied. I think God put the cloud on an auto-repeat circle for 40 years, and it just circled. It just circled because the cloud was leading them. you got to realize sometimes you might be following God, but because you're not yielding to the work he wants to do in you, he'll just keep you in the wilderness. You, you ain't ready. You ain't ready. I know people right now in Shalmet and not even in, in life in general who are believing God for a spouse. They're believing God for children. They're believing God for financial increase. You know what that is? Sometimes I wonder, is God walking you in a circle? Because maybe the spouse that God has for you is in the promised land, but the heart condition you've got, they don't want to be involved. No, I got, I, no you got to walk. We got to get rid of this in the wilderness. Now, Remember, I said that if you're no longer wondering, you're wandering in confusion. I'm going to give you three signs or three causes of confusion this morning. And I'm going to tell you right now, all three of these are things that believers have. These are not something that unbelievers have. This is somebody who's supposed to be following Jesus. The first sign of confusion or the cause of confusion is a lack of relationship. It's a lack of relationship. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman, and he's not going to force his hand or will in our lives. And because of this, we will not benefit from his guidance if we do not know him. We will not know what he sounds like or how he looks to lead us if we don't know him. So many people find themselves praying and asking God for guidance. How many of you know somebody who 
you know, like probably wouldn't actually qualify as being born again, but they believe they're, they're following Jesus and they pray all the time for God. And I need God to guide me. I need God to guide me. I, I, need, I need God to tell me what to do. I was, in, I was praying this morning asking God to tell me what to do. But the problem is they have no idea who he is or how he operates. So what happens is they say, God, I need you to help me with this. I need you to lead me with this. And he does. But because they don't recognize it and they don't like it, they say, God doesn't answer my prayer. No, he answers your prayer. You just don't know him enough to know that's actually his answer. I don't know if you've known this about yourself, but usually yourself and God do not agree. Just being real. Like, like what you want to do is most of the time not what God wants to do. Now, the longer and the more that I pursue him and I know him and I submit to him, eventually he, how Psalm, what is it? Psalm 37, 4 says that we, it's 27, 4. We delight ourselves in the Lord who will give us the desires of our heart, right? We know that verse of scripture. Well, you know why that happens? We delight ourselves in the Lord who gives us the desires of our heart. He doesn't give us the desires of our heart because he loves us. He gives us desires of his heart because we delight in him. And when I delight in him, he changes my desires to match his. Oh, I can give you that now. I couldn't give it to you before. I've talked to so many people who they come and they, they want Jesus to move in their lives, but they want to tell Jesus how to move. And it's because of a lack of relationship that they don't understand. No, he's trying to move you. People want God to move in their lives right here and right now for a situation in the moment when they don't understand that God never does one layer of things when he moves. God is always doing something now to set you up for where you're going. You don't see where you're going. I don't see where I'm going. 2008, I just remember because it was election night. 2008, November, whatever it was. Holy Spirit tells me, go sharpen your sword. So I started reading the Bible. And I just went on this, this doctrinal theological binge for about four years. I should have went to Bible college, but I turned my bedroom into one. And I just went after it, studying, studying, studying. That became the foundation for the pastoral ministry I walked into. I didn't know that at the time. He just said study, so I said okay. I didn't know what I was studying for. But see, if we don't know him, we won't recognize what he's doing or even come into agreement with it. We have to know. I mean, I would imagine... That there were other clouds in the sky. There probably weren't other fires, but there were other clouds. And I can imagine that there would be times that they might have to go, wait, is that the cloud or is that the cloud? I'm not sure. But then Moses would come up because Moses, the one spending time with him, say, no, that's it right there. That's the one we're following right there. Why? Don't ask why. I know. Pastor Chris, why you, why, why, you, you know, why you left that job to go to ministry? Because God told me to. How do you know? I know. I don't have to give an explanation. I had to say I tr I'm trusting God. This is what he told me to do. It's through a relationship. One of the main ways we know how he operates is we know him. This is how you know him. I taught my young people, you want to know how God thinks? Read Genesis. The first ten chapters. 
I could teach you so much about the nature and the character of God and how he interacts with his creation through the 10 chapters of Genesis. You ain't got to get in the rest of the whole book. Give me the first 10 chapters of Genesis and give me about 10 weeks and we'll go through it. And I can show you, see, this is how God operates. Look right here. See, we got to know him. See, what happens is, and I got to belabor this point a little bit because the other two may not take as long, but. It's so important that you know the word because somebody might come up to you and say, I feel like God told me to do this. Can I tell you something? God will never lead you through a feeling when the feeling doesn't match the word. Does not happen. I could sit here and tell you story after story after story after story of people who would say that I just feel that God is leading me to do this. And I could literally open up a scripture and say, but read said scripture. Yeah, but I feel it. I just feel it in my heart. Yeah, but the heart is wicked and deceitful above all things. Yeah, but I feel it in my heart. I just feel it in my bones. Yeah, yeah, all mortal flesh stands silent before the throne of God. Right. You understand what I'm saying? Like, like, but, but when you live off of a feeling and you don't know him, you're going to find yourselves in a bunch of ditches. Pastor Chris, I've been walking in circles for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. Read your Bible and just do what he says. The first one. Is a lack of relationship. The second one's a lack of trust. You might be saying, well, Pastor Chris, I'm a Christian. I trust God. Are you sure? Because sometimes some of the stuff he says is a little crazy. If God hadn't told you to do something crazy, you ain't talking to him that much. I'm going to be serious. Like, if he hadn't told you to do something, you're like, oh, you, you've got to be kidding me. God, that is every penny I have given. What? God, I don't know if you understand, God, how this world down here operates, but we need money to operate down here. You want me to give it all away? That's what you want me to do right now. Yes. You sure? Yes. Are you, ab I mean, am I picking up the wrong frequency? Is this meant for Amanda next to me here, not me? I don't know, but I don't know her situation, but I definitely know mine, and I, that's all I've got, God. See, we can, we can go to church, we can read our Bibles, we can worship, we can sing, we can be involved. But if we can't obey when we have to trust him to obey, we don't trust him. And this is one of the reasons we're confused. Because our, our flesh and our desires and our heart will be like, well, this is the right choice. But God will say, do this. And because we have a trust problem, we can't just blindly say, okay, I'm going. We're stuck in a spot where we go back and forth, and the cloud is moving, but we're not because it doesn't make sense to go that way, when in reality, it's not that we don't know him, it's we don't like what he's saying. We don't like what he's saying. Many times we say we trust God, but don't always act like we trust God, and we ask God to bless our lives, but we don't live our lives in ways that honor him. What does trusting God look like practically? This is a verse I read at every funeral that I preach. And you would think, Pastor Chris, 
Funerals, yes. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Through 7, actually. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. He will direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord and depart from evil. Go back to verse 5 for me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Can I explain that to you real quick? You may have heard this before. If not, it's great. Let me tell you what leaning on your own understanding is. Trust in the Lord and lean not on your own. Your own understanding is the way you know to do things. Your instinct. See, your family gives you instinct too. Like growing up. Whenever my dad needed a break, he was stressed, he was, he was, he was going through a lot, he, he needed to go to the woods, he needed to go to hunt camp. And so there was days that we'd get up on a Saturday and we thought dad was off and dad's hooking up the boat and dad's going fishing by himself. Why? Because dad had to get away, he had to get a break, he had to go, you know, whatever. And, and his daddy would do the same thing. And it was this thing of, I got to get away, I got I to gotta, I gotta just get out by myself. And I'm all for getting away, that's how I am. But the difference is I can't get away to fishing, I got to get away to his presence. But that's what we understand it. Some families understand I'm stressed, I need to drink. And great-grandpa did it, and grandpa did it, and daddy did it, or great-grandma and grandma and mama did so. That's, that's, but that's what we know to do because that's what always worked. Even though it didn't work, just put you in bondage and spent all your money. But that's what everybody said worked, so that's what we did. We went, and we're leaning on our understanding. And when I go to funerals, I tell people, do not grieve the way you know how. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. See, to truly trust God means to live a life that's not led by your instinct. That's not easy to do. Because sometimes your instincts aren't bad. Sometimes your instincts are, 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 are right. But just because you have always done it one way, and even if it's the Christian thing to do, that doesn't necessarily mean that's what God wants you to do in the moment. That's why I've got to trust him and I have to know him. Because there's nothing worse than saying I love Jesus and I live for Jesus. But when he actually calls me to do something, I don't trust him enough to do it. Pastor Chris, what, what do you mean by I don't trust God? When's the last time you did something he told you to that you didn't want to do? When's the last time? That's how you tell me that you know him and you trust him. I don't want to wait to go buy that vehicle. I don't want to wait and do this. I don't want to, I don't want to not tell that person off. Or better yet, I don't want to have a conversation with that person. But the word says to do it, okay? I'm trusting in the Lord. So the first we have is a lack of relationship. The, third, the second is a lack of trust. And the third is a lack of dependency. One of the hardest things for us to do in America is... is is to be dependent on God. We can be pretty independent. We're capable of accomplishing a lot. But due to this, we find ourselves in the dangerous place of thinking that there are areas or sections of our lives where we don't need Him. And see, I'm going to show you a flaw of the enemy real quick. See, us, us Western people, we're... we're we're wealthier than like the 99% rest of the world just about. Even if we're in poverty here, we're still wealthier than the bottom 90% of the world. 
we can be pretty dependent on ourselves. I'm hungry. I don't have any food in the pantry. I find, you know, a $5 bill in the sofa, but I can go run and get something. I'm lonely. I can go find a friend somewhere. I can go find somebody to talk to somewhere. I'm sick. There's an urgent care in every block. There's a pharmacy. You go to Shemet, there's pharmacies in every corner. See, we have these options. I told you a few weeks ago, I believe, about a pastor, a guy I heard speak who's from Africa. He was a big, uh, big national, whole continent minister in Africa. And he came over here and he, he says, I always pray for Americans to grow in faith. Because their life is too easy and it hinders them. And he says, in America, you get sick, you go to the hospital. In Africa, we get sick, we die unless God heals us. You go to the doctor, we pray. And he says, I'm not saying not to go to the doctor. But you better pray on the way. It's a dependency issue. Because, see, and what, I'm going to tell you, the, the, this trick of the enemy or this thing, the enemy, really it's a mistake. I, I call it a mistake that he makes. Because, you see, when I'm dependent, when I'm not dependent on God and I'm trusting in myself, which is what the vast majority of Americans are doing, is they're tr- even people in church, they're trusting themselves to lead their lives, to provide for themselves. They're not recognizing that it's God that gives them the breath in their lungs and the brain that they have to go make the money they're making. They're not even recognizing that. They're trusting in their own ability to do it. If the enemy were smart enough, he would leave that person alone. Because when you're depending on yourself, you're not depending on Jesus, which means your faith is not in him, but it's in yourself. And the last time I checked, I'm saved by grace through what? Faith. And if my faith is in something else other than Jesus, I'm not born again. And see, if the enemy were smart, he would leave these church-attending people who have more faith in themselves than Jesus alone. But see, the enemy can't help himself because he hates us so much that he'll attack us and cause us to realize that we are actually dependent on God. And he'll put us in situations where we need him. When if he would just leave us alone, he might get more people. But his hatred and the fact that he doesn't have any self-control gets ahead of him and he comes and puts us in these difficult situations and we realize it doesn't matter if I make $10 million a month. I just got diagnosed with cancer. And my $10 million a month can't touch this diagnosis. Oh my goodness, I've got to be dependent on Jesus. I was at a service years ago. And I can't say the actual quote, but I'll just, you'll get the gist of it. And an old missionary is preaching. Old guy. Off the mic, not being recorded. And he said, Revelation 3.16 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. I'm reading 18, 19. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and I'll stop with him. Patiently knocking. Patiently knocking. He says, but every now and then, I'll never forget it. It's a little old bony finger. Every now and then, God will walk up to you and slap the boop out of you. Like, on the, like he did to Paul on the Damascus Road. He was knocking on Paul's heart. Paul wasn't listening. So every now and then he comes up and he just cold cocks you. Wow. I'm telling you, there are people in your lives 
that have just been slapped. And it's God trying to reveal the fact that they need to depend on him. But if you're not, how are they ever going to see it? If you're confused because of your lack of dependency, how are they ever going to know what it looks like to be dependent upon God? So you see, we've got this, this lack of relationship, this lack of trust, and a lack of dependency are the three things that cause confusion in our lives. And so we find ourselves in this situation where, God, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I'm struggling with what to do. I don't know. I, I'm confused. I feel like I'm walking around in a circle. If you remember the story I told you to imagine with me in the beginning, if I called you and I said, be at the airport for 7 o'clock, you need a dinner outfit, you need a bathing suit, the weather's going to be in the 50s and the 60s, and we're going to be gone for 10 days, make sure you bring tennis shoes. You have two choices. You can either sit there and you could try to figure out where we're going and what we're doing and where we're going to be staying or you can simply be obedient to what I told you to do and pack the right stuff and be where you're supposed to be it's the same thing with God God will tell you be here and do this and he'll give you no other explanation and what we do is we spend all of our time trying to figure out where God's taking us who's going to be there when we get there why we got to go this way instead of just packing the suitcase I want to make sure I read this quote right. The Lord gave it to me this week. Go to Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 and 29. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Yes, this is speaking of him coming and taking your sin and your unrighteousness off of you and giving you his righteousness. That's exactly what that is saying. But if you, de if you go further into it, what it's also saying is this. It's saying the reason that his burden is easier is because he will make all the decisions. All we have to do is follow the instructions. Y'all, he will make the decisions. You have to follow the instructions. He will make the decisions. You have to follow the instructions. I had this message just about all the way finished. And I was sitting in my office on Wednesday. And I just got an email from the contractor. And I had talked to the lawyer that morning. We were getting ready to do... They're doing the setup and all, and I'm at the college right now, hoping things are going all right and everything. And, and we got all this stuff going on and the, the craziness and everything. And I'm sitting, I'm reading through the message. I'm about to hit send, and the Holy Spirit gave me that quote. I'll make the decisions. You follow the instructions. And now I realize that my number one priority is not being smart. Y'all got to catch this. It's not being smart. It's not being wise. It's not having knowledge. My number one priority is not being the best leader or the best pastor or the best whoever I can be. My number one responsibility is to be as sensitive to his voice as I possibly can. Because he will make the decisions. I just have to follow the instructions. That decision today might be, hey, I want you to go eat. At this restaurant, not that one. But, Lord, I don't even like that restaurant. Go to the, okay, I'll go to the restaurant. And you walk in, and you see a friend that you knew in high school. And you walk in, you see the friend, and you say, hey, how's it going? I don't know. I'm about to kill myself. That story, like, that actually happens. 
But if we went to, to Acme Oyster House to get the oysters instead of going to, I don't know, New Orleans Hamburger Seafood Company to get the burger like the Holy Spirit told us to get, because you're still going to eat. Like he's, you're still going to get the food you want, right? You're still going to eat. But no, we're not, we're not obedient. We want to make the decisions. Remember how Jesus said, if you want to see the kingdom, you have to have faith like a what? A child. One of the biggest challenges we have with my oldest daughter is, baby, we make the decisions. You follow the instructions. Because she's starting to get independent and wants to make her own decisions. When if I would have realized this younger and I could have taught this better. No, no, no. You want to make as few decisions as possible. You want to just follow as many of God's instructions as you possibly can. But you'll never be dependent on him if you don't trust him. And you'll never trust him if you don't have a relationship with him. And you may be here this morning, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You go to church, you sit in a chair, you do all the things, but you don't have a relationship with him. And so you don't know what it means to trust him. You don't know what it means to be dependent. With every head bowed this morning. If you're here today and you can say, Pastor Chris, I don't have a relationship with Jesus.